Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable for you and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Dr. Daniel Freemeyer, stellar Old Testament scholar and uh, uh, preacher, pastor, and teacher, and I love having him on. This is his second time on, and I'm really jazzed to have him on, especially as we've been turning uh, to focus on the Old Testament lessons for a while here. Speaking of which, our text this week is Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 9. That's Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 9. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already doing so, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so they may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Dan. Isaiah 63 verses 7 through 9. Would you be would you like to read and I'll say a word of prayer or would you rather I read and you pray? It's up to you. Um uh, either way. What you preference. Read? All right. What you read? I will tell of the mercies of the Lord, the deeds for which the Lord is to be praised, according to all that the Lord has done for us. The many good things that the Lord has done for Israel according to the Lord's compassion and according to many kindnesses. The Lord said, Surely my people are these, children who would be true to me. And so the Lord became their Savior. In their trouble, the Lord was not troubled, and the angel of the presence of the Lord's face had saved them. In the Lord's love and mercy, the Lord redeemed them, and lifted them up, and carried them all the days of old. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, Father of all loving kindnesses, Father of all compassions, you are our rescuer. You are the one who lifted up and bore your people Israel from days of old. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we who are Gentiles, yet believing in Israel's Messiah, know you to be this kind of God to us as well. And so in the name of Jesus, we dare to ask that by your Spirit, you would guide us in this hour, that Dan and I would be led by your Spirit to hear what the Spirit is saying to us and to all those who are listening in, uh, that we may be hearers of the Word and thereby speakers of the Word, so that we may be doers of the Word. And may this same pattern play out for all those listening in, separated by time and space. May we, by your Spirit, be made hearers, speakers, and doers because your word is living and active and at work among us. And so we pray 
In the name of your living word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Man, I I just, I, I know you were sight reading and I was impressed. <laughs> I just wanted to give you a shout out on the air. <laughs> From Hebrew, from sight Hebrew. reading. I can spot a sight reader because there's these like little pauses at what would be the easy words in translation. You know, it's usually the small little ones that you're like, well, what's that? <laughs> yeah, that can go multiple different ways. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful. With exactly. It. The context. Is it and? Is it for? Is it because? Is it since? Right. right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But those often come out as <clears throat> short words in, yes. <laughs> in English. And so it's a place where you normally don't hear a pause. And that's always how you can spot a because you had your book of positions, so I couldn't tell that you were <laughs> you're, you're reading your Hebrew like proud. I was, I was just, I was wanted to praise you. Well, <laughs> we hopefully praise God. it's accurate. Yes, <laughs> and hopefully we can get at the uh, meaning, not just the translation. True, true, true. Right, right. But that's a good starting point. All right. Um, in fact, can we start there though? Uh, as a, uh, of course, the translation is a good uh, starting point for uh, heading towards. Uh, the fuller meaning yes. of a text. Um, just a few quick choices in your translation. Um, so what was it? Oh, ha- do you have a kind of default preference for chesed? I do have a default okay, preference. What, what is your, that's the first, so, I should say to those listening, and that's the first and last word of verse seven. Yes. Kind of a little inclusio. Words. Yeah. So it's, 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 if you went out, times. if you went in order, it would be the chesed's of, the Lord. The Lord, I will tell of, right? So, so it's. But uh, in, at the end, and then it's it comes singular, the, end. the Lord's Hesed. So yeah. it's a singular and plural dynamic, which is fun. Ooh, oh, okay. But I think if you do uh, research on this word, it's a very interesting word because it occurs throughout the Old Testament biblical texts, often in reference to the Lord, mm-hmm. but not exclusively. Right. It's off. Also, in regards to many different people who have Hesed. And one of the most interesting cases actually happens in Leviticus, where it's talking about a man who is naked with his sister. <laughs> I just read, it's in the teens somewhere. Yes. Yeah, okay. And this particular occurrence, I think, is very illuminating okay. in all the sense of the words, because you have someone who is... Um, related to someone else living in the same home, but have seen each other naked mm-hmm. and therefore have a more intimate relationship than a brother and sister are expected yeah. to have. And so you have this sense in which the brother and the sister are abiding together and they must continue abide, continually mm-hmm. abide together, but yet they're bound to something to a relationship that is more intimate than they should be as brother okay. and sister. So the sense of the word can often be translated as immoral, which is the opposite of what you <laughs> sure, think okay. of. So it's actually used. Is it a verb there or it is a noun? It's a noun to describe the kind of relationship that they are now under, right? A kind of binding. But in this case, it was a binding beyond right. the normal boundaries of Right. So I okay. tend to. Uh, and is the seeing naked? Is that euphemistic for absolutely? Well, relations? it can be. It, not for sure, but not. Be. Into, yeah. Okay. Many have taken it that way. Gotcha. But it could okay. mean something else. Right. Right. Okay. But the word why I default to that is because it has the sense of an abiding uh, binding. 
So you are <laughs> biding binding. Yes. That's so helpful. So you are bound to that person to abide with that person. And I think that's how the Lord, uh, I assume in that case, the worry would be that, that now the, especially the, the girl and the, the sister in that relationship would then be kind of unmarriable if word right. of this got out. So you need to keep her and take care You're of her. bound to her. So that's why, why the, even though in that case, it's an immoral uh, cause, the notion of both mercy, yes. but also faithfulness Can comes out, which is how they both get translated. It right. gets translated as love, loving kindness, mercy. And this particular relationship that needs to happen because yeah. of the gotcha. uh, dynamics involved and the protection of both parties. So, what's your default word that for you, like when I, like when I'm translating, I just put hesed because I'm kind of like I know it. Like for me, it's like this button that opens up this whole world. But like I've been wanting to know if you had a kind of preferred. I prefer what's the abiding, best binding, okay, or binding. What did you say when you just went through? Did you say mercies or something like I that? Said, I said I switched like in the it moment. from okay. uh, mercies, the mercies of the Lord, because I think that uh, captures kind of the the sense of what's happening in the context. Sure, gotcha. and then I switched okay. it at the end to the because, faithful loving kindness because there's a reference to further back. Yes, okay, that, that's so helpful. I love <laughs> the language geek out is so helpful. Okay. The abiding binding, that's huge. Yes. That could that could be um that could we could go somewhere with that. I can I just another uh another quickie. Mostly verse seven, I just noticed things. Maybe I just got overwhelmed after that. But um There's a lot the, in there. Yeah, the verb here, which in verse seven, it's the only verb actually in the whole verse, I think, right? It's just kind of rattling off the rest. It, it kind of governs it may actually yes, be governing the, the rest governing. of the sentence, yes. right? So you could almost – you could choose to repeat it in translation if you wanted depending on – but then maybe that makes too much emphasis. But but the, the mentioning or recalling or telling, yes. the rest here is I will tell of the hesids and the praises and the but according to just, this, according to that. It's not just a telling. It's a reminding. That's why I wanted to ask. Why? How do you choose to how to translate that word best? Because the word has the sense of, in the noun form, to remember or a remembrance, a right. memory. Yeah, so, so I put bringing, remember when I was translating to prepare for today. But it's to but cause someone to remember. It's transitive. It's towards yes. someone else. Got it. So you I will are, cause you to remember. Yes. But that's kind of awkward in English. So it um, can be. Um, I will call to your mind. Yes. I will remind you again and again. Okay. Is, is okay. the sense. That's awesome. I will remind you of what the Lord has done again and again for us. I think some older translations will say recount and maybe to capture. To count again. And recount, again. you know, yeah. kind of, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hard, it's a, well, it's powerful. I think that's image. powerful, especially if in the sense that that word is used in voting. So uh, if you're right. going to vote for the Lord, you're going to recount over <laughs> and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it does go on at great length, all the things that are going to be recounted in general in verse seven. And then it starts mm -hmm. getting very specific in eight. Okay. Thanks. I, okay. One last one right from seven and, and we'll be, I'm sure there'll be more, but, um, the, uh, I didn't know what to do with the praises of Adonai, uh, the, like the deeds worthy of praise. Is this kind of, is that a, to say the praises, the teleot, is that kind of a, a kind of shorthand for that, which is worthy of being praised? 
You know what I mean? What, what does this phrase mean? I kind of didn't know what yeah. to do with it. So there are a couple ways you can take this. So you can move towards, okay, what's being reminded are the, the reasons for why we praise gotcha. the Lord. Okay. Right. But you can also take it as, I will remind you of the ways the Lord has been praised. Got it. Okay. Many times in the past, right? So that you can participate. You can join in those praises, which is okay. very fitting for the context of Isaiah 60. And they're not mutually exclusive, and yet the emphasis is different. You could It could be shorthand right. for the deeds worthy of praise, the reasons for praising. But it, it could, could also just be, be... He's already been praised before, and I'm reminding... You. What a worship leader does. Right, right. Okay. Here are the ways people have praised the Lord, and you can join in. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's so helpful. Oh, man, that's really, really helpful. Because, like, you know, I, I know enough. I, I probably just know enough Hebrew to be dangerous, right? But, I mean, like, I know enough <laughs> to be able to, like, take forever and, like, say, oh, teleot, I don't know, you know. Um, but uh, at praises, and I'm like, but in context, I'm like, okay, how does this work? Because clearly it's doing something more than just it's not his it's not him praising probably you know like it's so the the genitive is doing something interesting there. well it can be as well right. but in this context probably not right it's like to whoever the i is yeah joining in on the praises gotcha because if the i is reminding them of praises of the past that i has joined in on those praises that's so helpful okay that's that's really really helpful okay this is just again We'll get into the meaning in the middle section, but but I, I almost brought this up. Uh, just had Luigi on a little bit ago, and he was, and I almost almost went on a on a tangent with him on this, and for whatever we didn't go down this road, but he was freely using the tetragrammaton, pronouncing it, mm-hmm. and I and I'm I'm just I'm so mixed up about what's the best. I mean, I don't, I don't want to bind. To yeah. use abiding, binding. I don't want to. I don't want to unduly bind the conscience of our listeners to say there's only right. one way to do this. But when you come up with this word, you know that you know Y H W H. Usually the all caps Lord well, for our Hebrew. listeners, right? Right. <laughs> Yodhe so, Vavhe. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm not. I'm trying to not say it right, kind of correctly. Um, dancing around. That's one of the ways. And I wonder, like, because I've been influenced by Jewish scholars to like yeah. that practice of of using a substitute. The fact that it has the wrong vowel points on purpose. So I was taught to say Adonai to kind of because those are the vowel points there. Right. Um, so he was using the name, which I'm not going to say. I was I, I use Adonai. Um, you you and while translating at least just went with the English the Lord. Right. Because that's what Adonai would be translated as. Well, it'd be so my that'd be Lord. be the English. What's that? It would be my Lord. Right. Okay. Here, so it right. does have, Adonai has the possessive. Ah, my Lord, okay. Um, when you're translating it. Yeah. So, but today I, you I just like said to, the Lord. I you said the Lord. I, I, I say was, the Lord because so it's confusing. Yeah. I was wondering say, like, my Lord, my Lord. When uh, in do you have any general, this is kind of asking a more meta question before we go break and come back and figure out what the text means and not just what it says, but <laughs> like, um, like, do you have any general advice for for Christian preachers as they're discussing the Old Testament, preaching on the Old Testament? Like, um, I have a lot of advice that I could give. Okay, but regarding this, I think one of the ways that you yourself have uh, embodied the praises of the Lord 
and participated in the praises of the past <laughs> is by refraining from yeah. trying to pronounce uh, a word that we don't know how to pronounce. Right. The pronunciation has been lost because there was respect for the um, the designation that the Lord gives the Lord's self. Yeah. In Exodus, the Lord, when Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? The Lord gives this as the response. Yeah. So one of the ways to capture the dynamic that's happening there is that the Lord is not actually giving a name. Right. The Lord has no name to offer right. to Moses because when you know someone's name, you have power over right, that person. Right, right. And Moses doesn't have power over the Lord. The Lord is saying, I make happen whatever I make happen. And yeah. you have no power over me. You don't make me do anything. And yet, I then that you. becomes a kind of name, right? It's kind of the but it becomes the, um, the non-name name, right? Unpronounced, right. out of respect to say, right. we don't know the Lord's name. We don't know how to pronounce the Lord. Right. What we don't know the name of the God whom we serve. So that's a way of praising. Yeah, right. a way of praising is saying God is beyond all that we could know, and we don't have any power over God. Okay. So I'm, I think I'm hearing you say that catching that spirit and then making a, a conscientious decision is the way to go. So if we're strictly speaking, doing this practically yeah. from like a reading or a worship standpoint, I think following that example of substituting in my Lord, that's not what it says. Right. It says the four letters that we don't know how to pronounce. But if you say my Lord or the Lord, you are getting what has been a practice for right. okay. a long time. Another way of doing this is saying the name. Yeah. Hashem. Right? Whatever yeah, that name that's... is that the Lord chooses, I'll substitute that yeah. instead. Or to say, because sometimes the vowel points are for the word for God. So sometimes you can say God the gotcha. or Lord God. These are all ways to, um, to show that exaltation of the Lord by not pronouncing what's actually there. So, Other people try to apply the vowel points to the right. uh, the letters and you come up with different That's how you get Jehovah, right? Jehovah Historically that's where that came or Yahweh from. or other Which Jehovah could things. be like just a embarrassing mistake or it could also be an attempt to retain right. that respect. Both of them and, can be. Yeah. Because we actually don't know how to how it's pronounced. Right. So to leave it unpronounced is what I typically do. So risking to take the Lord's name in vain here, I'm just going to say it. Would you say it's a bad idea for Christians to freely and comfortably throw around the name Yahweh? I think um, it, if it's in the spirit of I can capture okay. <laughs> who God is, then yes. If it's in the spirit of I don't wear that name, then you're carrying it in vain. But if it's in the sense of I don't know how to pronounce it, and, and I'm just taking the vowels from Adonai and uh, putting them here. I think saying it is is can be respectful. Okay, it doesn't always occur, but it can be. Cool. Thanks for that. I, I know that was kind of a long excursus for those who are listening in, but on the off chance that any of you listening in are are, are familiar with the simple fact that a pretty straightforward obedience to the uh, third commandment uh, is. Thou shalt not take the Lord's, <laughs> thy God's name in vain. Right. Uh, that that there's almost an implicit vanity in thinking that we're naming God, right? right? And to not be at least a little bit attuned to that is to, you know, 
uh, run roughshod over one of the supreme commandments, right? And so, to so, so see, you know, some of the rebellion that yeah. Isaiah sixty three is going to talk about. Ah, okay, great. That's a great transition. So I don't want to again. I don't want to uh, weigh anyone down or or bind their conscience unduly, but more just kind of like and actually the the. The spirit, your answer was more as, was as much according to the spirit as the letter and more so the spirit than the letter, which I think was really great advice. And it actually released me from some of my, as you can tell, as I danced around the question, I have a lot of anxiety because I don't really like telling people what they can and can't say, you know, but at the same time for me, it's actually for me, the, the discomfort and awkwardness of having to dance around it is itself a sign of respect. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I and don't. it can be. Uh, I think it can also become legalistic, right. where you're forcing people to embody what your convictions are regarding this, and I think that's out of step with right the respect that you're trying to give to the Lord. Yeah, and like I mean, I think sitting at the feet of our of the Jewish tradition from which our Lord comes is one thing, uh, kind of imitating or aping is actually not necessarily an act of respect to just kind of do a thing just cause you overheard it. And right. you know, I'm going to pretend I'm Jewish, you know, like, <laughs> like that, that's not, you know, really a, a, a deep appreciation is great and really learning to understand the text as I see embodied well, the in same, you. That's why I wanted to ask you this question. Cause I'm sure you had thought about it. <laughs> the same is true yeah. with the praises. You can imitate it without ah. really getting involved in deeply into the spirit of those praises that's that belong to the Lord. That's perfect. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and dig a little bit more into the text at hand. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, Dr. Dan Freemeyer, and we're uh, digging into Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 9, which is the reading for the, it's the Old Testament lesson for the second uh, excuse me, no, the first Sunday after uh, the Christmas Day. So, um, and in fact, our 52nd episode, the last episode of Ooh. 2019. Yeah, so <laughs> full year of episodes now. Um, so thanks uh, for just walking through some of those uh, key terms as well as uh, the excursus there on on the the divine name that I've been dying to learn from you about that. So I uh, appreciate it a ton. So yeah, what let's, let's talk about the text more broadly. Like, what does this mean? You already made some mention of the larger context and yeah. Any I think, thoughts you have about this text that you want to make sure get across before we, I think it's helpful to always situate a few verses within the larger context. And if you're looking at where this falls in uh, Isaiah, it actually comes in this post-exilic section of Isaiah. Isaiah addresses three different time periods. What happens before the exile? What one happens through 39, right? Correct. Okay. Commonly accepted as one to 39. And then 40 to 55, commonly accepted as being this during exile. And then the rest being as this addressing the time period after exile. Okay. So, In that context, this section is filled with some very uh, technical poetry Hmm. that shifts back and forth between third and first person pronouns, Ah. which I think is very significant. 
that happened this week, and I kind of didn't know what to make of it. Yeah, okay, it, it can a, be difficult to translate because... Is it a kind of stylistic kind of maneuver? I think so. I mean, so. I just assumed that and moved on. But I, I, think I don't know the significance of it. Though. I think it's stylistic with some deep theological significance. Ooh. So if you're shifting from third to first person, this doesn't just happen for uh, the Lord. The Lord does shift between third and first person. But so too does the servant, right? Who is repeatedly mentioned in this, in this, in these passages, the servant who is Israel. It's mentioned multiple times. Yeah. The servant is Israel, but also the speaker, whoever the composer. So this I of verse seven is at least literally the servant okay. between I and and third person he. Right, according to all that the Lord has granted us, right? Not me, us, right? Yeah. And so you get this shift that's happening with both the Lord, the servant, and the composer of this section. So with that, you get the impression that what is happening in Isaiah is actually an alignment, or mm. if to put it another way, a marriage mm. between the Lord and the servant for which this composer is embodying. I see. So the I actually becomes unified into being both the Lord and Israel and the composer. They're all a part of the I working in the same tandem, working together as a married couple would be. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be necessarily John and Mandy. You would be John Mandy. You'd be together. You're working together as one. The two are joined as one. And the same thing's happening here where you get this marriage of Israel and the Lord, which the Lord has been yearning for <laughs> throughout the whole book of Isaiah. And the Lord sees this marriage happen through the servant who accepts the spirit of the Lord, who enables the Lord to fill the servant up and use the servant however the Lord wishes. This is the, the goal, a marriage between God's people and God. Yeah. Which is perhaps wow. why we are so attracted to it at... Uh, Christmas time, when sure. we see a marriage between God and humanity in the person of Jesus right, Christ, right, 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 and the 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 working in tandem together. You can so that's that's really good. That's exciting. Yeah, and so then that, that's a great case of a theme that kept coming up in on the the episodes in Advent. Here was this tension between a kind of sort of one extreme of kind of a, a sort of. Uh, simplistic, Jesus just is the servant kind of character and like fulfilling each line as if it's a prediction when like that it can sometimes ignore the original meaning of the language that has yeah. its own integrity. Um, but then the other extreme of avoiding any Christian appropriation of the text at all, which then accidentally out of at least perhaps at first out of respect for the Jewish character of the scriptures, but then ironically becomes a kind of a more a, a sort of more suit a different kind of kind of uh, Marcionitism because it's like oh that's the Jews Bible so we know nothing about it right so like you kind of so these these extremes and mm -hmm. and I'm hearing you kind of saying there's there is something fitting at the Christmas season but it's at this broader thematic level rather than just kind of like okay which verse here was was you know fulfilled at this particular moment I mean when the New Testament does that that's fine and that's one thing but for us <laughs> to just do that too willy nilly. 
uh, well, I think it's be... fine. It's fine for us to see how Jesus does this uniquely, right, as right. long as we don't miss that that was the Lord's hope for Israel. Right, right, right. This wasn't like a brand new idea out of the blue. Right, right. right. Yeah. and it is still the Lord's hope for us yeah, that yeah, we yeah. might work in tandem with the Lord and be married, joined to the Lord in this abiding binding, where we're together, working together for the same purposes as the Lord. Now, what's going to happen in this particular passage is that there is going to be some who resist that marriage. Right. I mean, the very next line. The very next line is about the Again, rebellion. Christmas, there's a reason they cut it out, but, uh, right? But they rebelled and grieved his spirit, it says. Right. The Holy Spirit. Right. They grieved the Holy, Holy spirit. spirit. The Holy Spirit is wanting to bring about this union and this resisting of the Holy Spirit, which happens in the New Testament as well, is... Uh, being talked about in the context of what Judah's or this Jerusalemite, uh, Yehudite is sometimes mm -hmm. how it's called, this return to Jerusalem and Judah, mm. Judea, uh, after what has been done by Edom. And that's the context okay. because Isaiah 63 actually starts with. Right. Who is this? Who, who comes is from this Edom? coming yeah. from Edom? And. The context that we might not be familiar, or we might be familiar, is the after the exile and the destruction of Jerusalem in 586, the people in Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem go to Edom requesting help. It's natural. Yeah. They see themselves as related, as close allies yeah. with Edom. Uh, because they have been at various points in history. So they go looking for help. Can you help us? We're in desperate situation right now. Our capital was just destroyed. All our cities, everything was taken. We have no resources. We are refugees. What can you do to help? Instead of helping and offering a covering, which is the Basra, hmm. the Edomites boasted about having a covering over their cities that no one could attack, no one hmm. could penetrate as they're in the cliffs. They are covered, right? The the refugees, the Judean refugees are saying, cover us. Mm -hmm. And they say, no. In fact, we're going to strip what you have. We're going to sell you as slaves. And we're going to take whatever resources we can get from you. Hmm. So they take advantage of this poor situation yeah. or this dire situation for these refugees and they get wealthy. Off so would these have been poor classes that didn't go in the exile, but had been spread out by the Jerusalem. I'm, I'm just right. curious. Okay. Cause Babylon the exiles, most, Assyria, the Babylon's mostly the higher ups typically, right? Would have the, taken the best of the best yeah, or tried to yeah, from their I mean, perspective. It's not like exile was the sum total of the population of Israel. There were right. been a whole lot who were left behind who spread out to Egypt or Edom or, a number of people internally go, displaced. A yeah. number of people do go to Egypt. A number of people yeah. go to Philistia. They go all over. Some even stay in Mizpah and make a new capital there, according okay. to uh, Jeremiah. Right. So you get a wide dispersion. But those who go to Edom, instead of getting help and having the Edomites show compassion, got screwed. Instead, get taken advantage of because of their vulnerable state. Wow. And so, who is the one coming from Edom, which means this, this redness, <laughs> yeah, covered in red, and Basra, which means a, a 
covering a garment, this person's garments are stained red. Wow. Well, if you come from Edom, or if you've ever been to that area of Petra, you your clothes get right, covered right, in red, right? right? This red but this dust, isn't yeah. a red dust. This is red blood. Oh, wow. Because the I Lord... I didn't pick up on that at all. Is that narrated somewhere in somewhere else in the in the Old Testament scriptures in the later parts of Second Kings, or is that too late to appear elsewhere than that event that you're describing? Yeah, so the event I'm not familiar with the event. So <laughs> the I, event that I'm describing yeah. is attested to in Naum, okay. in Ezekiel, and in Jeremiah. Okay. Um, so it only appears in the prophetic literature, which is why in it's in a more poetic form and Harder to pick up all the details if you're not used to that. Right. Uh, not you. You are. But I'm <laughs> you, dear listener, and me. <laughs> so. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lord is actually coming into Edom to save and deliver these refugees okay. who have suffered immensely, who have been sold into slavery, who have had even what little crumbs they had left taken from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Lord is robed covered in splendor and in greatness of strength the lord is mighty to save so with this victory as the lord in essence returns upon the edomites what the edomites have done to others as the lord does this towards them and it should be pointed out not without warning first because naum is is a great example of an obadiah Actually, Obadiah in this instance. Uh, Obadiah is a great example as Obadiah addresses Edom. The whole book, right, whole book yep. is, a, is for Edom, wanting to win them back before it's too late. So Obadiah addresses the, the pride and the, the abuses of the Edomites and says, please turn. Please turn before it's too late. And that's what the Lord is, or what this portion of Isaiah is describing, is that the Lord has come and has delivered those who were in very dark times, very dire straits. And, uh, yeah, and the and reference then to the grieving of the spirit here, 10, because of course it goes on and talks about how they do remember, same, get that verb again in verse yes. 11, right? That after they grieved the spirit, he became their enemy, fought against them. I'm assuming that's referencing the exile experience, right? If it's looking backwards or maybe, yes maybe no. not. Okay. Yes and no. And then as people the remember the days happened, of old. Right. Of it Moses. happened in the time of Moses, right? The people rebelled mm-hmm. against the Holy Spirit. It happens again during the time of exile. It could happen post-exile. And they ask, where are, where is he? Where is he? And it said, the spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make yourself a glorious name. But of those people, of those people who the Lord divided the waters for them, mm-hmm. right? And delivered them. In Passover? Not all of them made it either. <laughs> Only no. two. Right. Right. Only two actually made it to the promised land. Yeah. Of all the people, the rest died <laughs> right. in the desert because right. they rebelled. Yeah. And the Lord is saying, I'm bringing you out just like I brought those slaves in Egypt out. But this is an abiding binding, right? <laughs> I want to abide. There are obligations entailed by this. Yeah. Please don't rebel against me. Yeah. Instead, join in. And the best way to make sure that you're not rebelling against the Lord is to join in on those praises. Okay. And that's what the composer is inviting these people to do who have witnessed the salvation from Edom in their day. Abide in those praises of the Lord and remind not only themselves, but future generations 
remind all of them of the Hesed of the Lord. Oh, that, and Hesed then brings it back home because this is all, I mean, it's, it's one of these weird, I often find, uh, I mean, this, this podcast is, we're making use of the lectionary as a jumping off point. The point is the scriptures. It's not a, it's about the scriptures and it's about preaching and teaching. It's not about, uh, the lectionary. Having said that, a quick comment about the lectionary. I will often find myself like, really annoyed by some kind of like selection mm. stripped out of a context. Well, that's not the intent. It's just to get you started. Right. Right. Because I'm also grateful because it's forcing me into a text that I don't know very well. Mm. These later chapters of Isaiah outside the servant songs, I don't know very well. So it thrusts me in there and the whole Advent season, the old Testament lessons have all been from Isaiah. So there is a contextuality. If you stay with the old, you know, they've yeah. been slowly building up to this. So it's very fitting that we would have a text then from the end of Isaiah at at the end of that sequence. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and I'll often find then when I expand and look at the whole chapter, then I think, okay, if I was to pick a small portion out of here that captures the spirit of the whole, well, I still may end up picking seven through nine. They're pretty great. You know what I mean? Especially how the Hesed, cause that is a, that is a, that is a Hesed story, mm-hmm. a story of God committing God's self to this people, the people, you know, in rebellion, being rescued by God, despite their, Despite failures and failures. Um, yes. Which is why it's both mercy and a and kind of just binding to his a commitment to his promise, a covenant faithfulness. Right. And the using of nations to do it. Because yeah. many point out how the Edomites viewed themselves as uh, unable to be defeated, as impervious, hmm. as indestructible. Wow. Because of their location in the cliffs yeah. easily defended no one could get in many rulers had tried and what ends up happening like in- israel judah is right in the middle of everything <laughs> now the mountain of jerusalem gave a certain confidence right up on zion but <laughs> but even more confidence would be placed if you are completely surrounded right. with mountains right like much more is. so much more so Petra right. is a fortress that you cannot you get into. And it's pretty hard to siege because it's big enough. I assume there's so, enough ways to get out. And well, there's like Jerusalem's one way very in. siegeable. There's one <laughs> okay. way in and one way out. But so it, you can defend that and wow. hunker down and you have the resources. But then it's big enough within there to grow your crops and yes. keep going. So you can't really siege it. And you can cut it, it off. Drove you can drove military leaders crazy because okay. they couldn't figure out how to take it. <laughs> Until And we should mention to listeners, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, yes. that that little path they go through at the end, and then that's, that, the that's Petra, that's that's Edom. And that's uh, the very path that Nabonidus in 553, uh, or 533, figures out how to get in to that area. And he actually uses a tactic that the Edomites had used in tricking them into thinking they're letting in allies. Okay. They, he takes from their own family, someone who's willing to turn and rebel. They invite that person in because the person has been an ally. And then okay. there's an ambush set up within the uh, fortress. So Nabonidus actually accomplishes what others had been striving to do for a long time. And because of it, Resources. That's 530s. 533. BC. Mm-hmm. And Nabonidus, who's he? Uh, he's a Babylonian him. ruler okay. who um, is wanting to restore the glory of Babylon okay. to its former state, 
but uh, is is struggling to to do it and feels like this could be a way that would funnel some resources okay. into him. And this would be towards the end of the Jewish exile, correct? Correct. The 70 years, right. Okay. Right. It's around the same time that uh, the return from exiles are happening. So those are the quote-unquote secular events that are happening that the Lord is identifying as his this is providential work. work. Gotcha. The Lord saying, I did this. <laughs> yeah. And I, first one to ever defeat him. Because yeah. of this, the resources Just actually, like I used Babylon to punish you, and now I'm using Babylon to punish you. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, okay, you've I'll, got the symbolism yeah, there yeah. that Isaiah draws out. Um, but what ha- ends up happening because of this is that the resources actually get funneled back into Jerusalem. Okay. Because Edom had been this merchant uh, status in that area, and everyone, all the trade and commerce was happening through them. When this happens, it shifts back over. And Jerusalem's a Babylonian protectorate, and, and eventually a Persian one after that. I mean, so they're kind right. of, they get the benefits of that imperial dominance over right. Edom. Oh, wow. wow. Which is going to make, if, if we're talking about this during Advent, which is going to make... Uh, Idumeans like Herod, ah, very upset, and his whole family is trying to oh my goodness grab back. The well, then resources. that might be why this is selected because this is the day after the Holy Innocence. The, I mean, one of the stories that uh, might be remembered on the first Sunday of Christmas, um, depending on the traditions and the choices of leaders at local churches, would be the the remembrance of the, and that's the Matthew reading, the Gospel reading. From this, from this Sunday, connects uh, really well yes, with the, Herod is, the Great yep. trying to overcome the animosity that has existed in the past, yeah, and get the upper hand over the Judeans <laughs> and the, and the killing of all the this kind of Pharaoh like uh, murder of the babies in Jerusalem, right? Not wanting a Jerusalem king hmm. who can overthrow. Ah, so that's an extra layer of the threat to Herod is not just any old pretender to the throne, but specifically a, a Davidic one, Correct. a Jerusalemite one, because he's pretty straight. He's not. He's pretty, yeah. He's yeah. I mean. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, okay. That's extremely helpful. So, Idiomian is a later name for Edom. I didn't know that. Edomite. That's so helpful. Yep. Yeah. And they're not, I mean, it's not, a lot's happened, you know, a lot of years have passed by, but these stories are remembered and... Well, the, yeah. and the animosity has continued because yeah. of what happened and the reversal of fortunes mm-hmm. that continue to occur. Yeah, and it's a classic case of uh, a long-term feud where everyone thinks the other one started it or everyone thinks the other one escalated it. Right. <laughs> right. right. It goes back to Jacob and Esau yep, 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 vying yep. for resources and yep. Jacob trying to steal what belongs to Edom or to Esau. Right. And uh Yeah. Long history of trying to take what belongs to the other. Yeah. Whew. Well, let's take a quick break. I think we've made, at least I've learned a ton about this passage. I hope our listeners have too. I'm sure they have. Let's take a quick break and come back and do some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Dr. Daniel Freemeyer, uh, and we're looking at Isaiah Chapter 63, verses 7 through 9, which uh, is the appointed uh, Old Testament lesson for year A in the Revised Common Lectionary for the first Sunday 
after Christmas. Now, those of you listening in, you might just be interested in the text, so you don't have to worry about that. For those of you who are, however, uh, prepping, you know, sermons or teachings or lessons, uh, for the upcoming Sunday, uh, you might be, uh, particularly, uh, anxious to hear from us. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts about, uh, you know, where you might go with a text like this, uh, especially in the Christmas season, we don't have to make Christmas connections if we don't want to, I don't want to, uh, uh, require that of you. Um, no, I think, but, uh, but it's, it's worth having in mind at least, uh, so we could do a bit of both, a bit of how might you preach on this sermon, if someone, you know, because of course these these are there's a backlog. People uh, people might end up hearing this months later who are just studying Isaiah, right? So we yeah. could say things about how to preach this text in general, um, but we also might want to speak to it specifically as a Christmas text. So you can go either way or both. I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll make sure we do. But what are you thinking? Where do you want to go? What's your sermon starter? How do we like? If I were developing a sermon, I think I would want the. Uh, themes of obviously we've highlighted Hesed, right, to be present, but also the theme of are we the people of the Lord? Are we the true children? Because the Lord says, surely these are the people. Yeah. And so I will become their savior, hoping that they will embrace me as savior. And there is in Christmas this, in return, this theme of will you embrace the savior? Right? Will you embrace hmm. the one who comes to deliver you? Now, if you do, the benefit is what happens in verse nine. In their trouble, in all of their trouble, mm-hmm. he's not troubled. Yeah. The Lord is not distressed by the distress that we have. The Lord is distressed if there's rebellion. Hmm. present within us like in the next verse but if we all the dis, all the stresses that we have throughout well even this time period of the year all the stress is present the lord's not stressed by it or distressed by it yeah the lord sends the messenger to bring salvation and is willing again and again to save the people from their distress and their trouble mm-hmm. and I, I think that's the beauty of the choosing seven through nine is you have the Lord wanting to redeem and mm-hmm. the Lord is willing to pay the cost to get back what once belonged to the Lord. Yeah. It wasn't because in this instance, the Lord gave up the people voluntarily. It's because the people left. Mm-hmm. But even when we choose to abandon the Lord, the Lord still wants to buy us back, buy us back and redeem, redeem us. Oh Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I, I, and the Lord's even willing to go to wherever the people are. Yeah, pick them up and carry them, <laughs> carry them back, lifted them up, and carried them all the days of old. Yeah, like the days of old when the Lord did this time and time again, and yet somehow we can get it in our minds if we don't remind ourselves, we can get it in our minds that the Lord's not going to do that for us. Yeah, surely the Lord isn't going to come and lift us out of this trouble. But yet, that's exactly what the Lord wants to do. And that the composer is saying, I will pray, I will join in these praises because the Lord is doing it in my yeah, day. I'm watching it's it. Happening right and the now. Lord's going to do it in the days to come, the ages to yeah. come. And we can rely on that. Oh, I'm suddenly getting a sense of the, the remembering as having both the sense of remembering God's 
Hesed's means, you know, even when, you know, I am afflicted, he, you know, can rescue me even from the farthest reaches of the earth. Right. And on the flip side saying, yeah, but remember the covenant and the, that which is uh, expected of me to be faithful, right? To be right. faithful to his faithfulness, because I could also forget the covenant by just saying, oh, well, whatever we do, I'm, you know. God doesn't care. It's mm. like, no, no, no. There will be uh, consequences for my choices. Yeah. Um, but those consequences don't result in just kind of a, a sort of final rejection, but a constant cycle of of uh, exile and return. Another yeah. uh, noun that's used here uh, comes from the verb rechem, which means to – it's often translated as having compassion, right? Because mm-hmm. it comes from the womb. But uh comes from it's connected with the word for a woman's womb. But it also has the connotations of providing the resources that you need to survive, like a parent would do. Uh. Right? The, this happens in Hosea as one of the children is named uh after this verb. So it's providing the resources you need. Another way that we rebel is that we go after resources that the Lord hasn't provided. Hmm. We reject the rechem of God, the compassionate provisions, or the fruit of the womb, Hmm. or Jesus, who came out of the virgin's womb. We reject those resources, the words of God, and we go after other resources, Hmm. just like the Edomites did. And so this can be a very powerful preaching moment to call people to consider what it, what resources are you going after? Hmm. And are they... That fits the Edom story really well. The Rechem of God. Right, right. Are they what God has provided for you, or are they things that you want that you haven't been given? Yeah. Oh, that's really good, and the womb connection's really powerful there um, with compassions. I mean... I mean, you know, you, you can you can you can go far afield with a word study sermon where you end up preaching the whole <laughs> Bible and it's overwhelming uh, for a listener. Um, but at the same time, a real focused kind of theme where you take a keyword, and especially if you connect it up with that story. So I, I think actually telling this, uh, I think telling this larger story of chapter sixty three would be really powerful, especially the connection up. To Herod, I think just to it tell it briefly, some of the tehillim, the praises, yeah, exactly. of the Lord. And Let me it, remind you of a story you may never have heard about. You know, it was new to me, um, and the way that God exercises God's covenant faithfulness yeah. uh, to His people, and then therefore kind of getting a picture of the character of God that's set forth in verse seven here. Yeah, you know, because when you when I look at seven, I think you know, all through seven, eight, and nine. And ask that question that, you know, Lennox taught me to, to ask, you know, what does this tell us about God? There's a lot here to work with, right? All these right. attributes of God, right? The um, loving kind, the, the abiding binding. I like that. That's that's a fun word. I, I could see you using that. Um, the praiseworthiness of God, the goodness of God, the compassion, but compassion as providing what is truly needed so that we don't have to run off and find it on our own. Right. Um, God as savior or rescuer, 
right? And uh, but also and his love and mercy, and then you get love and mercy and redeemer and the one who lifts and carries. Right? He's going to carry right. us home. Right? There's We're a lot of also, theological truths here that teach us a lot about God, but they also teach us a lot about humanity. Yeah. Where the Lord wants to save us and provide for us, and yet we can reject those provisions. Mm-hmm. We can go after the provisions that haven't been given, and we can try and take those provisions. If the people here try and do to Edom what Edom did right. to them. Now that they're vulnerable. Now that Edom's vulnerable, then that will grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the Holy Spirit wants a spirit that shows compassion, that shows love, even to those who have been enemies, who have taken away what you, what you had. That's the type of mm-hmm. dynamic that the Isaiah 63 is encouraging us to remember. The Lord is pouring out love even on the enemies. And yet we often don't, mm-hmm. but the Lord wants us to. The Lord warned the people of Jerusalem when they resisted it. The Lord did the same thing the Lord did to Edom later. Yep. yep. Because they had been taking. And so it can also, in a sermon, you can ask the question, what are you taking from someone else that you shouldn't be? Yeah. How are you oppressing someone else? (laughs) And then asking the question of like, how am I justifying that by Mm. what I choose to remember? Yes. What are the stories I tell about how they started it? Right. Or they escalated it. I feel like there's a little sermon hiding in here that just talks a little bit about, about grudge keeping and resentment yeah. and the way we justify our um, oppression and abuse of others and because how the, of how they oppressed and abused us prior, right? you know, and how that gets so, us stuck in a cycle and how the Christmas, cycle uh, yeah, how the 12 days of Christmas is a season for remembering the way that God breaks the cycle. And God and the breaks the cycle for us here to, yeah. uh-huh. to say, don't do that. Don't oppress. The way of reconciliation is having a Holy Spirit of compassion yeah. towards even those that have oppressed you. That's what the Lord is hoping the servant who is Israel and the composer will embody. And that is what Jesus embodied. Yeah. And verse, thir- th- verse 11 then brings it home, right? Then his people remembered the days of old, right? And it, and the days of Moses who brought them up out of the sea, right? That kind of remembrance of and remembering we also not needed to, to be rescued, right? The Egyptians who had exactly. been oppressing them, recognizing that God, if there is justice to be done, God is going to take care of it. It's not like they're the Egyptians aren't let off the hook clearly in the Moses story, <laughs> nor so have the Edomite, Edomites got off scot free. I right. will take care of the punishment. I will provide the justice that needs to be provided in my timing. God says, right. So when we feel like we've been wronged, the yeah. Lord's not troubled by mm. the dis- trouble that we see. The yeah. Lord's going to bring about justice in the Lord's time, and what we are to offer is compassion and abiding binding to even those who have hurt us. <laughs> this is uh. It's funny, we were just talking about you and I both referenced the Lord's timing, and I will admit that this is probably terrible timing in the context of this podcast. But uh, there is another little random uh, textual variant thing in verse 9 I wanted to ask you because you just referenced it. I did. (laughs) So in verse 9, is it it that he was – in all their affliction, he was not afflicted? 
or in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Yeah. Because there's apparently both possibilities. Yeah. Right? So there are textual um, attestations for either it being the uh, negative particle, no, mm-hmm. not. Um, and that's the majority. But then there is the pronunciation's the same. It's low. Right. Or it's low. But with a third person pronoun, meaning for him is trouble. So it's either there's not, tr- he was not troubled or for him, he was troubled. So it kind of captures the dynamic of, I mean, ultimately the, the message is the same, ironically, the right? Because like, like, for the, for the Lord to be faithful to his covenant, to his people, that means on the one hand, our afflictions don't throw him off his game. Right. Right. That's the good news of divine. But on the other hand, on the other hand, his afflictions, our afflictions matter to him. Yeah. (laughs) They get to him and he cares. And the Lord cares. It stirs (laughs) up the Lord. Right. Yeah. And that's what that word means to be stirred up, to be agitated. Oh. And so either the Lord's not agitated (gasps) or the Lord is agitated. Either way, the Lord's coming to help. (laughs) So you can see in a, in a later rabbinic, I mean, I have, I have sympathy for the, uh, for the even though it's a minority variant, the the case could be made that it's the more difficult reading, the one that it you can explain the the wiping away of a knot because it looks bad to have God be all stirred up. That's very unbecoming of the picture of God in this in a, in a later era, right? You know, uh, but then again, I want to be suspicious of my own kind of preference for <laughs> these kinds of. Uh, anthropomorphic pictures of God is all kind of stirred up because he cares. And I think the twinkle in your eye when you walked me through it and, and I started to realize like, oh, this is really ending up the same place that it's not, there's not as much hanging on the, the text variant here as it, as it no. might seem and, at first many, glance, since it's, since it's directly contradictory on the surface. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, he is or he isn't, right? Which is, which man. is true. <laughs> right, right, right. I would argue they're both true. Right, right. So they're both true. So in a way, the, the variant is, um, ends up just being instructive. Right. <laughs> um, do you have a hunch on which one's more likely original or you don't care? I think. <laughs> I think a more difficult reading uh, could be more original, but that doesn't mean that the Lord isn't using powerfully the other variant. Gotcha. The Lord can use both I'm I'm with you on that one. I wasn't asking you that question. I wasn't asking you which one is true. Four different times. I was just asking which one's old. (laughs) But if the assumption is the the oldest text is automatically the best and cra- I don't operate with that assumption. I, yeah. that was just pure historical curiosity on my part. So bad John, bad John for being curious. <laughs> in this instance, you don't curiosity have, is not the path to wisdom. <laughs> in this instance, you don't have a shorter reading. It's yeah. just a more, well, depending upon your view of God, and, which one's right, more difficult. Right, right, right. And that's, that's, that's itself a, an interesting historical reception history question, yeah. which makes me just kind of want to say, well, whichever one we're inclined to, I mean, I would want to go with the opposite. <laughs> like, whichever one's going to correct our assumptions, you know what I mean? Like, which depends, uh, in my view, upon the community. Who that's what I mean. That's community composing specific. Composing and receiving these texts. So if we have a picture of God as high and lofty above and untouched by our experience, we may need to hear that he was afflicted by our affliction. Right. And on the flip side, if we think that if we have a highly anthropomorphic picture of God as just kind of bumbling around and 
can't figure it out because we're just throwing him so many curveballs. It's nice to remember he's on a he's he is undisturbed by our disturbances. Right. He's got a plan. He's got it taken care of. And I think both of those pictures are are, are true. And actually, you get closer to the truth by having both. I agree. Pictures and both fit the context. Yeah, they really do. The Lord is working to bring salvation, and we can actually not pin down God which is what we talked about right earlier. with the name. We don't have power over God, but God has power to bring salvation to us. Yeah, if I was in like a small group or a cl- uh, Sunday school class kind of context where there's a little bit more back and forth, um, less as opposed to kind of more worship setting, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe can be tricky depending, depending on the size of the congregation, smaller congregation sometimes. This is actually a great opportunity to get, have people get out their translations, get their, get their Bible app out on their phone and notice that different versions have in all their affliction, he was afflicted, and others say he was not afflicted, and to kind of like create some cognitive dissonance, you know, um, and then resolve it somewhere along these lines as a kind of not resolve but dissolve the problem to say really both of these are true in their own way, and we and capture have... two sides of the Hesed of God, so then you can kind right. of come back to the main theme. Now that that kind of dialectic might not work in a sermon i mean i i'm a weird preacher i would totally preach something like that but i'm a weirdo you know uh <laughs> um uh you know i think uh a sermon that that is a more narratively structured around this edom story maybe making the connection to herod making that connection early on to just send a signal yeah, yeah i know it's christmas and i know i'm not going to talk about that for like most of the sermon but just trust me it's connected you know <laughs> and then like go down that path I think the, the 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 first sermon starter that you offered I think is really powerful. That's connected with that narrative of of that the 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 oppression and the vengeance and the 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 way we justify it and all that. I think that's a great sermon starter. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on come the context yeah. which one you're going to yeah. use. Yeah, but in either context, we can often view texts as familiar and they can be surprising. Yes. Yes. And God is that way where God surprises us with the type of salvation that God brings because we might not be expecting it. Exactly. Well, that's a really good word to end on. I think we should end there. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dan, for the time that you've uh, given uh, to us and to all our listeners. And I want to say a thanks as always to Eric Fisher and Todd Bouchon for all the great uh, production and editorial work they do. I can't imagine doing this without them. And thanks also to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Make sure to uh, rate and review and subscribe and share and get the word out about what we're doing here. If you find it uh, helpful and edifying for yourself, uh, let others know about it. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>